And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation I'm hoping helps your business grow. Now look, for those of you that listen to the show regularly, you know I'm here in Kansas City, we're here in Kansas City, and you know we love the Midwest. And we are going to tell a great success story about a st- from, from product to exit, all of it, about a very well-known company here in the Midwest, which I'm going to hold out some suspense for. Uh, but overall, I couldn't be more excited than to have these couple, the, these guests with us today to talk about all the great stuff that they did at a company known as Flywheel. So with me today, I have Tommy Basic and Dusty Davidson of Flywheel. What's up, guys? Hey, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having us. I appreciate it. And I, and I said Tommy's name wrong. So, but okay. much like, much like many startups, we, uh, we publish things warts and all on this show. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that now. Yeah. I want to first ask about the backstory of Flywheel and how that got started. I'm not sure which of you two fine gentlemen are going to, going to take the role on that. Now I'll leave that up to you, but how did, how did everything at Flywheel get started? Yeah, so uh, Flywheel started just over eight years ago. We just celebrated uh, our eighth birthday, and uh, myself and two other gentlemen, Rick Knutson and Tony uh, Tony Naker, started Flywheel. You know, we'd worked together for many years building websites for clients, working with a lot of small agencies and freelancers. And my partner Rick was doing freelance design, and we realized that the platforms that you ultimately use to build and host and launch those websites for clients were, you know, commoditized, clunky, sort of stuck in the past. And we wanted to build a modern platform for hosting and building and launching sites built on WordPress. And so uh, thus Flywheel was born in a way, scratching our own itch, uh, kind of building the platform we wish would have existed. Um, and so eight, eight short years ago. So yeah, and and startup years that's like eighty seven years. So you know we can uh, we've we've all aged a little bit, but yeah. So WordPress is clearly something that most people that use the internet are exposed to and dealt with. And you know, and for those of you that aren't, it's an open source content management system. Uh, it invites a lot of different types of innovation and and just stuff in general. Um, what did that, when you first started all this, you say eight years ago and eight short years ago, eight years ago in, in the world of tech and the internet was a long time ago. That's probably like iPhone four, iPhone three. Uh, I always like to use the iPhone models <laughs> yeah. to give you some perspective, but, um, uh, the, the world wasn't as capable technologically back then. How did you go about determining the problem that you're sol- you were you wanted to solve and how you could actually turn that into a viable business and an op- compared to an open source platform you were going to work with. 
Yeah, so I think at the time, WordPress powered something like 15 or 16% of the websites on the internet. And for context today, it's over 35%. And of course, the internet is a much bigger place. So uh, it is. it was clear at that point that it was a major driver. In fact, it was WordPress itself was bigger than all of its competitors combined in the content management space. And, and yet, they, all of the options, like every website that was built had to live somewhere in, you know, ongoing. And, and we would build those sites for clients. And we would, I would always say, like, we'd charge somebody you know, $10,000 for a website uh, that's beautiful. And then we'd put it on $2 a month hosting. And that was sort of incongruent, right? And, and nobody was described it as nobody was in love with their hosting company. Like nobody loved it. It was always this pain point. And so, uh, you know, it was kind of a fascinating thing where we, we saw the, the rise and the prevalence of WordPress as the, as the leader in this way, especially for freelancers and agencies building sites for clients. Um, and yet they, they, there was no really good platform answer to them or for them. And so, you know, that's just a classic gap in the market was we, we knew it because we felt that every day. And then, you know, we hoped that there were people that were like us and turns out there's, you know, millions of creative designers and, and freelancers and agencies around the world that, you know, suffer from the same problems we did. Yeah, yeah I can attest to going, I can attest to going through some of those same problems and trying to get a new WordPress site set up. And, you know, I'm, so I'm a non-technical founder. I tell people I write checks, not code. And you know, it was always something different, you know, and like every single hosting platform wanted to do something different. Now, for those of you listening, if you want to learn more about Flywheel, you can scroll down to the show notes and go to getflywheel.com. While you're down there, also check out the link that is the sponsor of today's episode, which is Tesseract Ventures. And Tesseract Ventures helps companies become smarter, better connected, and more efficient through next generation robotics, 21st century software, and radically connected platforms. You can visit tesseractventures.io to learn more. Also find that link down in the show notes. Now, um, now, now, Tommy, where did you enter this story? Or have you been on the whole time or did you come in later in the game? So, so I got invited to come along around November 2017. Um, and I came in as a button employee 91, I think at the time. Uh, so not quite the OG, but um, I think one thing that was kind of kind of kind of fun is uh, as every startup does, you kind of optimize for revenue and cash flow early on. So you build a big sales team and one of our you know, one of our offerings, not just hosting, was a high-quality support team. So we had kind of built that up. But one of the areas that we didn't make large investments into early on was engineering. So um, I, I was invited uh, when we had about 10 engineers to come kind of help build and scale the engineering team and uh, accelerate our product growth and offer offer more products to our agencies. So I've been around for about three years now. Okay. So, yeah, and the, the engineering part is is obviously pretty important when it comes to the connectivity. So, um, and, and Dusty, I, I, I should, I should have identified you as the CEO of the company earlier when, when I, uh, brought the show in. it's, it's Monday here guys. And I don't know what day of the week this is going to come out, but we're just trying to get it together here. We're just three guys looking for something to do and trying to record a podcast while we're at it. But, um, you know, every, every entrepreneur and every story has got some major obstacles that they have to overcome. What in the beginning, what was the biggest thing that you guys had to climb over? Well, I think that, you know, I always to say that Flywheel overcame a, a series of, of, of very, of like small incremental problems. <clears throat> I mean, there was nothing, there was nothing that was like really 
insurmountable. I mean, <clears throat> we had we had relatively enough capital to do what we wanted to do. You know, in retrospect, if we had more, you could it's you could say that you could have grown more quickly. But the reality is, is that you probably would have just spent this more money on uh, to, to to grow the same way. So in a way, like like lack of capital was a a, a good constraint for us. Um, you know, we. We hadn't ever scaled a team. You know, we had built products um, as, you know, the three of us are partners were all come from software engineering backgrounds. So we were like product guys, um, but we had never scaled, as to Hami's point, we'd never scaled an engineering team. So we were really good at building products when it was like, you know, five to 10 engineers in a room that are just kind of hacking on stuff. But like, how do you, how do you scale that beyond that? You know, and the same with, with sales and customer acquisition. Like we, you know, for the first, oh gosh, first three years at Flywheel, we didn't we didn't have any salespeople at all, right? We just we didn't even have phones. I always say like you couldn't call us if you wanted to, and so um, you know, so we kind of just bumped up against our own knowledge in all these places, and then over time, would put great people in place to help us scale beyond that. And so um, nothing nothing super major, I don't think that we're like, oh man, this is insurmountable. Tommy, did you later on, well, we can bounce back and forth in the timeline here a little bit. I mean, you mentioned engineering issues and scaling a team. Now you guys are located in Omaha. Did the, did the whole entire life, did the whole timeline occur in Omaha? Were you always there? Yep. Okay. So, you know, with that, and we, we wrap our arms lovingly around the Midwest and that has a lot of strengths for us as entrepreneurs at the same time. Well, Omaha and Kansas City, we're not usually mentioned uh, on the more cosmopolitan and larger markets here in the U.S., uh, which can make finding what you need difficult on some levels. But, um, Tommy, did you find any any major or insurmountable issues or anything that just was consistently a headache or still is along the way? You know, I, w- I would say we actually took it to our advantage that we were a little bit different for Omaha. If you look at Omaha's landscape, I'm not sure what Kansas City's like, but we have a lot of fintech, very traditional companies, banks, things like that. And so when we're recruiting talent, um, I think we actually had kind of a corner on talent because we could take them down to our office. We could take them out to lunch. Uh, we could show them our culture. Um, you know, we always talk about cultures, not dogs in the office or a beer fridge, but that is different from what you normally get in Omaha. And I, and we, we de- did double down on that quite a bit. Um, that said, our tech stack was quite different from the typical tech stack in Omaha. So we had to get really creative on uh, not, not just hiring great, uh, you know, Ruby on Rails engineers, but actually developing great talent as well. And so we took our approach of, hey, let's find a great Java dev or, you know, C-sharp dev and uh, get them in here and invest into them and, and, and actually build them into a great Ruby on Rails dev. And that that model seemed to work quite well for us. So, Dusty, when it comes when it came to growing the company, you mentioned having uh, what you defined as an adequate amount of capital early. Uh, that's one of the biggest things I run into when I talk to founders and folks that are in the Midwest cities, much like Kansas City and Omaha. Um, now, Omaha has a unique quality about it that technically, I, I I don't know if it still is, but last time I checked, had more millionaires per capita than any other city. And that, a lot of that's driven by Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway's presence there. Um, did Is any of that, I mean, did, how, how was raising capital in Omaha? You, you, just because you have that in town doesn't mean that any of that is, is earmarked for startups or goes that direction. But is, is it challenging to raise capital there? What, was, what were some of the things that came along with that? 
Yeah, I think absolutely challenging. I mean, there there is a lot of money uh, here, but at the same time, you know, it comes from a, a, a you know a very different philosophy, right? Not a high risk, high reward philosophy. Um, you know, it's people who've made money uh, alongside Warren Buffett, as an example, as you mentioned, and, and it was much more conservative in that regard. And so, you know, I think that the first thing for us was making sure that we we you know we were able to through friends and family raise enough money to to the three of us get pretty far along and in fact the my this is i think one of the cool things about flywheel my partners and i you know all three come from product backgrounds but my partner tony is deeply technical my partner rick is a kind of sales and marketing and design mind also and and i uh, you know, have kind of business acumen and, you know, did the fundraising and other stuff. And so we, all three of us could go really far, right? We had, we had customers long before we went out and raised money and we, and we had a product and we had, you know, uh, support efforts. We had all the stuff necessary to go out and say, Hey, you know, we're not just building on an idea. We're not trying to raise money for an idea here, which is a very hard thing to do in the Midwest generally. Um, but we were able to get really far with traction to to go out and say, okay, well, now we want to raise uh, you know money to to accelerate this momentum that we already have, which I think for the region was very helpful position to be in. Um, I would say that of the certainly in the seed round that we did, that the was a, I think a million, one point two million, something like that. About half of that money was from angels around the uh, around the you know Omaha area. Which was the biggest contribution, I think, in a from from angels that had existed to that point, and then, you know, the other half from regional players, Detroit, Chicago, um, Kansas City, and other places where you know we kind of leverage our networks to do that. And so you kind of got to get scrappy and you got to get creative about it because there's not a ton of density of money, but I think traction and then just you know kind of hustling uh, allowed us to allowed us to overcome what is a this was and continues to be a pretty pretty challenging capital landscape. So as as you were growing the company, was did you have any mentors or or other companies or anything else that you modeled what you were doing after? Or did any anyone or anything have a specific, like looking back at your eight year history? Did did is there a real key influencer on some level in the, in the storyline? Not any specific people. I mean, we, had, we surround ourselves, I think, with, with good folks, not like pure mentors, but just like lots of good influences over the years. I, you know, I think my partners and I always wanted to build Flywheel to be sort of best of breed across every aspect, right? And so you kind of just borrow from lots of different organizations that you respect and, 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 and say like, hey, who do you aspire to be like? Well, if it's, you know, I always, HubSpot's probably the number one go-to for me is like, we aspire to like, they're extraordinary at marketing, extraordinary at culture. Uh, And then you look at other organizations that might be like better at product development or like, it's just kind of like borrow and sort of build up what is a unique picture of how we want to exist in the world. Um, But, but, you know, frankly, not inventing, like we're just borrowing from best practices from from a whole bunch of different organizations. And, and, you know, it's, it's a good time to be able to do that because there's a lot of people sharing your know, podcasts like this and others where you can actually, I think you can, you can, you can learn and absorb what, what, what best of breed is and, um, and sort of bring that back internally. How about, how about you, Tommy? 
Yeah, I, I think if you look in Omaha, there's like, as Dusty mentioned, there's not like a pure model that you want to follow. So we we did try to take, you know, best practices. The Spotify model from a software development standpoint was really popular at the time on how they built teams and how they thought about, you know, uh, cross-functional teams with scrum masters, product managers, designers, engineers, all embedded on the same team. Um, we took some of that and we also tried to learn from folks that maybe uh, did a little bit different. Uh, Slack, I think, is a good example. Uh, Michael Lopp is a, an incredible leader out in the engineering world. And so he could kind of pick apart different things that Spotify was doing and maybe point out differences and different ways to do different things. And so I would say we took a lot of our inspiration on how we build and scale teams from, from Spotify and Slack. So every, everything we just mentioned is all part of, of a greater plan that we're hoping a business actually has. Um, some businesses have a plan, some businesses don't, but we can all look back at our time as entrepreneurs and say, man, that went really well. Man, that didn't go well. Do you? So how did you plan for all of this? And I'd also really encourage you to tell us about something that you had planned for that abysmally failed. Yeah, so I think that, you know, in the early days, you, you your plan was, I think you had a vision of where we wanted to be, um, you know, both in the market and with the products. And and I remember waking up at five-year points and being like, oh, man, we we did that. Like, like, we're like it, wasn't, it was less formal at that point. And it was at that five-year point where we really then said, like, okay, well, like, now, now who do we actually want to be? And we had this vision of, of being... Um, uh, bigger than just a hosting company, right? A multi-product company, um, you know. And I think that uh, we ended up. I think the the first step down that path, we ended up acquiring a small company and then uh, bringing that product in house to s- sort of launch our second product offering. And so that's one of the, I think, cornerstone moments of of saying like, well, in order to be more than just a hosting company in the eyes of the world, you need multiple products. And how do we how do we accomplish that? And that was, I think. Um, I think that that was, that turned out to be, I think, pretty, pretty, pretty successful overall. Um, in terms of plans that are abysmal, uh, I don't know, you know, we, or, or even like an expectation or something. I mean, there's always, I think there's always something you look back at and you're like, man, I, I actually thought that would work. Well, we, 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 for many years, we're very good at building products and we're very good at telling stories and we were very bad at, um, uh, like budgeting and forecasting. And so, you know, we set these, we'd set these goals for the year, these like audacious goals and, and, and say like, this is the year, I think it was, um, I don't know when we wanted to hit like 1 million in, in, uh, in, in MRR or something like this, like, right. Like, so $12 million a year. And, and, and we, we set that audacious goal one year and then we just like missed it. And so then the next year you're like, well, let's do that again, like in a way. And it was not that it was. It was more that it was audacious and 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 that we weren't good at a, arriving at like, well, wait, from a planning perspective, where should we be? Um, but I actually I also stand by that because I love I love the idea of, of 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 big goals that sort of push people to go further than they would go otherwise. And if we had set a goal that was attainable, you might actually end up doing less. And so uh, so there's lots of those types of examples, I think, where you like you set these audacious goals and then you you miss them. And then to some people, people would be like, oh, no, we failed. And I look at it often and I'm like, actually, we did far more than we would have done otherwise. Yeah, they like to say a fat dog won't hunt. 
So yeah, um, I think that's the, I've been through that. Uh, before I was an entrepreneur, I was a sales manager and sales trainer. And I learned that uh, with salespeople, they oftentimes would hit their goal and then flounder. Um, and the same thing, it's like with people that have variable salaries, it's pretty much proven that once they get to that goal, they, you go to this point of like mental ease and just kind of coast. Now I wouldn't be, I, I got to ask the, the product guy, Tommy, what about the planning? Like, I mean, this is, this is now asking a CEO about their planning is about as exact as, as well, pick something that isn't that exact. Cause I know as a CEO myself, I'll do the same thing, but we are going to take over the world in 2021. And then it's going to be November of 2021. And we'll be like, well, we got part of it. So we'll try it again next year. Just like Dusty said, <laughs> but you know, from a, from a planning and implementation perspective, like how, how exact has it been or, or uh, this might be a good time for you to vent if you inherited a total, uh, a total goat rodeo when it came to the plans that you might have come in to fix. Well, uh, I, I can talk about my first couple of weeks at Flatworm. Um, <laughs> so I, I joined November. This is a safe space, Tommy. You can say whatever you want in front of Dusty. He can't, uh, he's going to have to answer to the startup hustle audience. Dusty really heard all this. So it's, it's, uh, <laughs> so I came in and uh, part of it was, hey, we want to scale a product engineering team really fast. And uh, my counterparts at the time, they're like, hey, here's our hiring plan. It's November. We got to get this approved before the new year. I was like, and they're like, we don't want to take it forward. Can you take it forward? And I was like, sure. And I was dumb enough to do that. Um, so I, I took a hiring plan that essentially double, it was going to double our team within that next year. And uh, I didn't know why, though, was the problem. And so I think, you know, very quickly we had to learn why, what products are we going to build, what are we going to focus on, and where where is the value for the company? Um, and so first year we were not great at it. Um, I think Dusty was smart enough to know um, hey, uh, we, we know we need to grow. We don't know exactly why we need to grow. Let's let's bring the people in and we'll figure it out as we go. And every year since then, we've gotten a lot uh, more specific around what the what the OKRs and what the metrics are that we're trying to achieve for the next year. And so then we've tried to build a hiring strategy, a product strategy around those goals and get ahead of those hiring plans uh, late in the year so we're ready to, ready to hit the ground running. So for example, this year, we actually built a couple new teams uh, that we're going to hit some big growth initiatives for the company. And so we started that process, I would say, back in October of hiring hiring people uh, to bring those folks in, get them rallied around, onboarded. And by the time we're ready to start, we're in January and we can start building products. And so from a planning perspective, gotten much better. Uh, the teams now understand you know, timelines, why those are important and why getting products to market in, in front of our customers is also important. Uh, so every year we've incrementally gotten better at it. Yeah. And as you mentioned, you know, there's a big difference between uh, five to 10 people and a hundred. And, you know, just it's uh, uh, I, on many days, you talk about the complexity of rolling out marching orders for a huge number of people. And it can feel like you're trying to like turn a battleship around inside of a swimming pool. You know, it's like this little tiny, you know, these, as you mentioned, uh, in, the small incremental problems. But, the, you know, that's one thing I think many people don't, uh, you know, we have companies of similar size. You know, we have, I got a couple hundred employees worldwide. And, and you know, we talk about any kind of change or anything we want to do. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to have to take a different approach where when you have five to 10 people, you walk in, you say, hey, this is what we do. You write it up on a whiteboard or hand out a, a document that is probably very poorly formatted and not presentable and everyone gets it it's you got to have a different approach with that 
Uh, now, I want to talk about growth at sales and revenue. And before we get into that, I do want to remind everyone that today's episode of Startup Hustle is sponsored by Tesseract Ventures. If you believe there's nothing more human than technology, go check out what the inventors, engineers, and creatives are building over at tesseractventures.io. From robots to flexible tech solution for construction and beyond, the Tesseract team dreams it and makes it come to life. You can find their link and the link for Get Flywheel in the show notes. Now, you, Dusty, you said we, we were all product guys uh, in the beginning. That is usually the kiss of death for building revenue quickly, in my experience. Um, a lot of, I, I talk to a lot of people that are, quote, technical founders, and they want to focus, they want to put their head down, work on the code, work on the product, work on everything. Now, and, and there's nothing wrong with that approach, but you got to have someone, you eventually you have to sell something. So when it came to your to your growth, I mean, what was the what was your go to market strategy, and like, what did you actually do? To, so you know, hosting's a big thing, but there's a lot of there's people that do a lot a lot of that, and you're competing with some really big companies on some levels. So what, what how did you begin to market and sell the services, stand out, and get a foothold on the market? Yes. So I think well, two things. One is while we're all technical, I think. I think what that means is that we can all build something like, like I don't, I'm a terrible software engineer, but, but have a product um, <laughs> acumen. Right. And so, um, and so is my partner, Rick. And so, but for instance, Rick is a, Rick is a designer and a marketer uh, kind of mind. Like he's a designer and a marketer more than he is a software guy probably. And, and actually those things go really well together. And so, you know, Rick designed our first version of the website and Rick ran our first marketing campaigns and these sorts of things. And, um, and so while we, I think our product mindset is really, really important, it's not three tech guys building a company, right? And um, so I think that's super important. And number, number two is, um, I, if you looked at all, I think two simple premises for, for Flywheel, three actually, one is that if you looked at all of the hosting companies, the competitors, they're all sort of like commoditized generic hosts at the time. And we came in with a very specific message around designers and agencies, right? Like that we were focused and our niche was going to be designers and agencies. And people actually early on got really, they were like, they thought that it was too small of a niche. And, and, and I describe it as it's the niche of the people who build every website on the planet. Right. And so, if you attack them, they're sort of like channel partners for you and they sort of sell on your behalf. Um, and also that focus gives you somebody to market to and somebody to sell to and somebody to build for. And, and so often, I think both startups and certainly our competitors would paint, you ask them who their customers and they'd say everyone or SMB or something that's just so broad that you can't actually just carve out a marketing uh, niche and and have a message and build a product for and I think files focus really um, really really allowed us to do that in a really cool way. I mean the third is like we always say like we we were just taking a wildly different approach in general. We were trying to humanize hosting where everybody else was very kind of like pictures of servers and stuff. We stood out in the world as uh, from a brand perspective, um, in part because we knew the customer and in part because that was just the company we wanted to be. And so. Uh, I think that that focus and that that like 
that that sort of stuff that that drives well okay then like how do you run marketing well okay well let's let's run stupid ad campaigns on 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 website design uh, blogs right or these kind of things because that's the customer and they would like and they all hate their hosting like what if we built a hosting company they could fall in love with and um and we, that stood out so much at the time that uh, you were able to get some early traction pretty quickly so, you know, you mentioned having this massive uh, TAM, total addressable market. And I've taken that bait before because it's easy. You're like, wow, I, I did it with Gigabook. So gigabook.com and, and booking. I'm like, anybody could use this. And then I sat down to write our go to market and really start marketing it. And I said, shit, anybody could use this. Yeah. And exact same words, two completely different sentiments and realization of like, why I felt excited and then why I realized it was an issue. And, and that's one of the things that that's a red flag when I talk to someone about their quote, I, their next big idea. And they said, well, anyone could use this. Okay. Well, that's problematic because if that is the case, you likely have a lot of competition, but then also the segmentation of your marketing, you're like, wow, I'm going to have to buy a Super Bowl ad to reach my yeah. audience. And yeah. then, yeah, and then, I, and then that's where my, my next question is for Tommy. So Tommy, as the products evolved, how have how have the plans for the product and what you're building uh, been built to go directly? You know, D Dusty mentions channel partners, and for those of you that aren't aware, a channel partner is someone that can be like a one-click install or something where you're, you you both parties benefit from that that vertical uh, exposure to to clients. But how is the how is the marketing and growth strategy affecting the product these days? Yeah, I think if you look at if you look at our like what we what we call our hero customer at Flywheel, so it's going to be your freelancer and agency, and I think both of those are interesting because both of those uh, a freelancer and an agency um, they're making money based on how efficient their time is, and so if we can build tools, uh, developer tools, or if we can build agency tools that give them time back in their day, um, then it actually helps them take on more projects, more jobs. Um, Another common thing that we see from agencies, um, they, they, they have trouble getting reoccurring revenue. They're kind of, you know, feast or famine, project to project. They take on a website and then they've got to fill in another project for, for next month to continue to pay for, uh, pay for the people that they have on staff. And so we started saying, can we solve that or help solve that for an agency and build, uh, build a pipeline for them to get reoccurring revenue from their customers? And so we started focusing on some agency tools that help them with efficiency of time, but also how can they provide services back to their customers that are ongoing, get the reoccurring revenue so they aren't so feast or famine and going from project to project. And we were able to build and focus projects or products around, around those areas. So it really kind of drove not just hosting, but how can we build software uh, to, to enhance live developers and agencies? Because we believe if agencies grow, we're going to also grow our business as well. I, well, I'm going to go ahead and give an endorsement here because I use Flywheel. Go to getflywheel.com if you want to check it out. So this is what I've found great about it. One, all right, so I, 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 at 45, I'm on an adult baseball team. And, I play, and the guys that sponsor the team, they own a metal fabrication shop. I mean, they're blue-collar dudes. And, if, and if, to them, I'm like the tech guy. And of course, when their website took a crap, they called me. And I'm like, guys, this isn't really what I do. <laughs> Like, well, you're a computer guy. Um, uh, sure. Right. How can I help you out, guys? So anyway, you know, they had a very old WordPress template that someone had set up and built for them. I logged in. I couldn't even update the thing. 
I said, guys, we let's just get a modern, uh, let's get you on modern hosting. Let's do everything. And because we had used uh, Get Flywheel and GetFlywheel.com for the full scale site, I knew it was really easy to set up because I didn't want to distract my own team with this. So I got them set up with Flywheel. And the, one of the things I really enjoyed is now then there's, um, you know, a minimal monthly charge, $15 a month. Now I was either going to have to rebuild that to them or do something, but I can do that right through their platform. They can pay for it directly. So I got them set up and got them moving in like minutes, like minutes. And now I haven't set up a WordPress site on a hosting platform in a long time, but I got to tell you, I was like, Oh my God, this, I was like little baby tears of joy were like coming out of both eyes because that can be a real hassle and it can be really tough to set up. And then the billing thing too. Cause like, I, you know, I don't, I, my business, I don't have to explain to my business partner where this $15 a month or whatever. I'm like, yeah, but those are guys that run my baseball team. What does that have to do with our business? Nothing. So, you know, being able to set some of that stuff up and do it uh, quickly and easily was appreciated. And, you know, when you're non-technical or you're like a, an agency owner, a lot, I mean, you can, that's the cool thing about WordPress is you can put together a website and not have to be a coder. Now, that said, setting it up and like, oh, what's a DNS setting? What are these things? And like, now you're in a completely different ballgame because a lot of that stuff, like, it can be confusing. And and you're like, you know, if you have to stop and do four hours of research before you make sure you're not about to completely implode your client's site before you hit a button. And that's what Flywheel has really been helpful with when it came to that stuff. And I, I think it's really cool. I, and I've, I've, I've enjoyed the ease of use for doing things like, once again, the, the non-technical don't do that well, like easily having a staging environment and, and stuff like that. Like, I I wasn't going to, I wasn't about to go set up a subdomain and do a bunch of other stuff. And Flywheel made that, made that possible for me. So thank you guys for saving me all that time. You're, um, you're welcome. Yeah. So, hey, like I said, that was just a, a real, well, Hey, it's yes, it's the product is working. So thank you. Now um, that was kind of an understatement because clearly the product has worked and we're not going to get into the, the super fine details of this, but was it, I believe it was, was it last year or earlier this year that you announced your, the acquisition from WordPress engine? Yeah. So we sold, we sold the company in June of 2019. So just over a year ago to uh, our largest, largest competitor in the market, a company called WP engine, uh, who also specializes in WordPress and uh, is the, is the industry leader, industry leader there. And so uh, kind of cool to see those two companies come together uh, just over a year ago. So, and like I said, we're not going to share too many of the, the deep uh, personal details of that, but how, how did that whole thing come about? Because, you know, like a lot of acquisitions occur from uh, one competitor taking on another, but, the, you know, and I'm talking like a bird's eye view because I know the people listening have, a, have an interest in, I mean, how does that even happen? How does that work? Do, they, do you just get a phone call and they're like, hey, we're buying you tomorrow. Cool. I'll be by with the check. It's not quite that simple. Yeah, it's not... It's not that simple, but it's also not that far off, at least in this case. So, you know, Flywheel, A, Flywheel is a company that was always built to sell someday, right? Like, so it's important to know that like our intent with our investors and my partners and I was always to have a, an exit of some kind. Um, we, we hadn't really thought about it yet, 
as we rewind last year, I think at the beginning of last year, we had said, okay, let's wait another 18 months to 24 months because you want to get to kind of a certain size uh, before it's attractive for everybody in, in the market, whatever. And so we kind of were just ignoring it for now. And we thought we'd just kind of kick the can down the road. Uh, and then in April of last year, I, I get an email from uh, Heather Bruner, who's the CEO of WP Engine, and it's out of the blue. And I had known Heather; we'd met at conferences and things, but we didn't we didn't talk uh, frequently. Um, so this was out of the blue, and it was you know a simple email that just sort of vaguely said about said like like you know interested in like talking about partnerships and something something something. And like you immediately know what that means. Like your your largest competitor isn't like. Uh, interested in partnering like that's not a thing um and so uh and so from there you know just a series of conversations and what we realized was that you know this was a big opportunity in the market like for the the, the companies to come together um we had similar values and cultures and that was super important to me and to my partners uh and we knew that our, our teams would be well taken care of right and i think that um, all of those things kind of came together and then it, once you realize those things um, just by getting to know each other, then um, and then it moves pretty quickly. So the whole process, start to finish, was about you know somewhere between forty-five and sixty days uh, from initial contact to close, and uh, which uh, was was aggressive, but but also super super fun because you just sort of like get it done and then can get back to work in in kind of a cool way. And we have uh, um, we like I said a super complimentary set of customers and a super complimentary set of um, products and you know, we spent about the last, you know, 15 months, you know, working together to figure out how to maximize the, the value of, of the two orgs coming together. Had you had you had other acquisition offers or serious in, uh, inquiry in the past that you had passed on or just said, hey, I'm not interested at the time? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, we get quite a lot of that, actually. You get certainly past a certain size and you get a, a good amount of inbound interest on that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, some of them we went down the path and and... Um, only, you know, we spent a lot of time and effort, you know, in due diligence and stuff only to find out that like we were off on price by a lot, right? Like their expectation was, I guess, here and our expectation was up here. So you, you spent a lot of time, you wasted a lot of time, honestly, in that regard. Um, and then a lot of inbound inquiries that were, would be from, from companies that you would like, you, you wouldn't want to go work for. And then, <laughs> but like, if the number was big enough, you'd do it, um, but the uh, but those were never real, and so um, yeah, just a mix of of that. And this was the first one that 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 was that felt really good. And and then we we made sure to not spend too much time on it until we realized that we're in the same ballpark. And then once you understood that, then you move really really aggressively on it. So Tommy, question for you here: uh, where during that process, what how much of that? How much of the inquiry or any of that revolved around what the future product timeline was? I mean, did, did that, was that something that was big or was that just like, hey, well, I'll give you an example. So, you know, Matt Watson, my business partner at Fullscale, he sold Vin Solutions 150 million bucks in 2012, and they didn't look at a single line of code. They didn't look at anything. They didn't care. They wanted the, which which it still baffles him here to this day. And then some people get a lot, you know, hey, where is this going? Like, yeah, which still it does kind of blow my mind that someone spent 150 million bucks and wouldn't look under the hood at all. But I mean, did, where where did the where did the product and the, and the future like what level of importance was placed on that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I actually still remember the, getting the Slack message from Dusty, and I think he had gotten off an airplane uh, just meeting with WP Engine, Heather, and the team. And um, part of the first diligence process is the tech diligence of, hey, let's start let's start uncovering like all the technology. What what does your systems look like? What you know what what does everything look like under the hood? Um, we actually didn't go as deep as I thought we would, uh, and I think part of it was it goes back to. Um, the reasoning why WP Engine wanted to uh, wanted to acquire Flywheel, and I think it comes down to they knew uh, our trust in the market with our customers, um, so freelancers and, and agencies. Um, you know, they 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 flock to Flywheel because of our brand and how we treat them. And you mentioned Matt. Um, you know, we have a lot of non-tech folks working using our products, and there's a lot of value in that for our customers. And so uh, WP Engine knew that we were good at that, uh, and they wanted to they wanted to bring that underneath their product umbrella. And then additionally, they looked at the talent that we had at, at Flywheel and grow, growing any any company really fast, especially, you know, the growth rate that we want to achieve at WP Engine. They knew they needed need more great people, Dusty and others, to come alongside and actually help them achieve that. So some of it was focused on tech diligence, but not not nearly as, as much as you'd expect. I think more of it was focused on, like, our track record with what we've done with our products and the people that we had at the company. I'll say all where, where Where is WP Engine located? They're, uh, certain, they're not in Omaha. Where no, are they? No, they are now, but the uh, uh, yeah, they're located headquartered in Austin, Texas, and then have an office in Ireland, an office in Australia, and an office in San Antonio, and, and now an office in Omaha. So, did you have another comment about the product? Well, I was just the... going to say that it was interesting on diligence. Is like I would imagine some uh, some acquisitions. Um, take a long time and they want to dig in and know every detail. And I will say that there was a lot of desire in this on both sides, but certainly on the WP engine side to move very quickly, right? They wanted to get a deal done quick. And, and, you know, for, and for all the reasons why you might think that you would want to do that. And, and the reality is, is that in that time frame you just can't do that much diligence, right? There's not enough time. And, and, and part of that was, we didn't want to waste our time. And, you know, if we weren't going to get through something, we're not going to, spend six months like sharing all of our data and secrets and sort of stuff. So like you either trust each other on some level, you either trust each other or you don't. Um, and, uh, but that was, that was, that was good though. Cause I, I, I could see it dragging on and dragging on, dragging on and you could, you could end up not getting to the end finish line and then you just wasted a ton, a ton, a ton of time. Well, those things, those things most usually die before the finish line yeah. way, way, way more than they actually make it across the finish line, which is, you know, when you said 45 to 60 days, I was like, wow, that is really fast. Normally, that's just how long an acquiring party will ask for just to do some initial diligence. Um, and then, you know, like you said, I don't think a lot of people understand how consuming that entire process is. And, you, and that's, I'm assuming that's why you we're happy to hear it move quickly as well, because like I said, you can, I mean, it's, it's a time, it's a suck. It'll take a lot of your attention, your energy, your focus, all of it. And then another thing too, it's like, there are, well, you're going to have to start answering to people that word gets out internally. And they're like, do we have jobs? Do we, yeah. are we doing this? Are we doing that? And it just creates a lot of 
uh, a weird turbulence. So, all right, guys. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining me so far today. And we're going to, we end episodes of Startup Hustle with what we call this, the, the founder's freestyle. Now, before we get too far into that, I do want to once again, thank Tesseract for sponsoring today's episode of Startup Hustle. Tesseract's brought Silicon Valley innovation to the Midwest, enabling businesses just like yours to defy boundaries of space and time through next generation technologies. Visit tesseractventures.io to learn more. Click the link in the show notes. There is also a link for Get Flywheel in there if you want to figure out how to host your website quickly and easily. It's a really great start. Now, um, as I threatened a moment ago, we do finish our episodes of Startup Hustle with the Founders Freestyle. Now, Tommy, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you uh, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to go first, Dusty second, and I'll close it out. Um, and I know you you mentioned before that you came on a little further in the timeline. I'm gonna take I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball here. What are what are some of the best things you've learned from the founders? Of flywheel in your time with the company? I, I think there's one thing that like is something I'm going to carry with my, with me through my entire career. And it's something that Dusty, Rick and Tony all talk about uh, on a very regular basis is being intentional. Um, and I think what that means to me is, you know, you can do just good enough work to get by and move on to the next thing. But being intentional, I believe is that extra 10 or 20% that you throw on where people know that you thought about the details that matter. And so we think about that with, you know, when we have big communication or change that we're giving to our, our customers or to our employees, and we think about how that communication should should happen, uh, who who should hear about it first, and and what's the story behind it, and so I, I think when you think of even one of our values, Dusty talked about it, design matters. Uh, it's on my T-shirt. Um, I think that that value kind of speaks to that intentionality and that extra ten percent, that extra twenty percent, uh, because you care about the details of of not just getting not just getting a product out there. Um, you hear about minimum viable product a lot in the, in the market. Uh, we've actually shifted to minimal lovable products because we don't want to put just something okay in front of our customers. We want to put something that has great value in front of our customers. And so the intentionality factor is probably the biggest thing I've learned at Flywheel in my time here. Gotta love the MLP. Uh, that's that's a new one for the list. So thanks there. Um, and And once again... Uh, thanks for joining us today. Now, Dusty, as I, I'm going to give you a, a point, you and hopefully in a little di different direction here. Now, it is a freestyle, so you can say whatever you want. But I'm curious about what's what's the best advice you could give any founder that wants to follow in your footsteps. I I usually give two pieces of advice. Um, number one is uh, I'm very very people focused, and I think everybody. Uh, everybody says they are in a way like we want to attract and retain the best people. And then most, most founders, most, most leaders don't do the work it takes to actually do that and to build extraordinary teams that are, that are like, that are super dense, right? Like that have just high density of extraordinary talent. And, um, and I think focusing on that very, very, very early on pays dividends down the road, right? I mean, the, what I always say, and Tommy's heard me say this a thousand times, is like hiring 20 extraordinary engineers today is really easy. You just start three years ago. Um, and the too few, I think, founders do that. Um, and the, the, other, the other piece of this is I always say, like, I think too few founders are willing to just hustle. And we didn't talk about this much, but in the early days, man, like me, Rick, Tony, you know, we just we just we just hustled like you would just call 20 customers a day 
or potential customers, right? And I think too few people kind of like are just willing to like pick up the phone and call and just like do that early work. And it, that that compounds as well, right? Um, and it's, it's sort of like this compounding effect of the work and the effort that you do in the early days that creates value two, three, four, five years down the road um, that that I think is uh, I think is super, super, super important. All really great stuff. Now, you know, the the hustle part of it, um, it I'm, I'm going to parlay off what you said. And I got a few notes here to kind of close this out. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to point out that, you know, Dusty identified early in this episode that there were small incremental problems that needed to be solved. And any business, regardless of the stage or the size, has got a stack of them. And there's rarely a silver bullet solution that tears through all of them and solves them all. So you just got to kind of get busy hustling, checking one box at a time um, uh, in regards to hustle. Um, and from my own experience as well, those little daily activities that you do, they, they start to pile up and you get enough grains of sand, you got a mountain. You know, and 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 I don't think it's ever too early. Now, I may have accused you at one point in the episode of being all product guys, but you clearly weren't. And you mentioned, I think another thing to point out is you, you, it seems as if you had a very diverse, you had a, a group of co-founders that had a very diverse skill set that wasn't all product. So that actually wasn't the case. People that were focusing on sales, marketing, differentiation, growth, and all those strategies. And you started early. Um, I mean, that was one of the big takeaways I got from this. And, and you did clearly as well notify your competitors. You, compare, you, you describe them as commoditized. So much, much in, the, in the vein of the minimally lovable product, hey, you know, the benefit of anything that's successful is, is that. Like, what's the benefit that you, people buy benefits, not features, and, you know, these features, just because they stack up and don't assume that anyone buying actually understands what the benefits are either. But um, one benefit that I've learned that is that is maybe the king, queen of all of them is peace of mind. Like, can you do this quickly and easily and let me get back to whatever it is I wanted to be doing that isn't this? And, you know, you can't really squeeze that value into a cell on a spreadsheet. And it's very hard to, to make tangible. But I'm telling you what, people, if you build a product that creates peace of mind on any level, you've got something that people will buy. And, and I think that that has a lot to do with the success or failure of a lot of things and from, from marketing to product to all of it. So I've got, I, I learned so much here. Uh, I love the, the comment about being intentional. Um, you know, that extra 10 to 20% at, at uh, full scale and startup hustle, we use the phrase world-class. We say, is this our world-class effort? And, you know, the, they, they say the devil is in the details. Uh, I can tell when people are sloppy and just kind of throw something out as opposed to take a little, a, a little uh, extra time and make sure it doesn't suck. Um, you know, th there you go. Like a, a minimally sucking product doesn't sound as good <laughs> as lovable. So, well, guys, thanks again. I'm going to go ahead and end the episode and get out of here. I got a lot of stuff. I, I, I've got a lot of small incremental problems I need to try to solve now. So I'll see you next time. That's awesome. Thanks for having us. See you, man. Cheers. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.